morning, New Hope. It is good to see you today. We're about 18 years since we were attacked. We were attacked even though we knew the CIA had information that an attack was coming. Did you know that, Dean? We knew that ahead of time. But we did nothing about it. We were caught off guard, unprepared. And when the enemy struck, we were like punch drunk. Now the same principle is true in your life. And for the last four weeks, I've been talking about battles that you have in your life. Battles with our desires and what the Bible calls our flesh. Battles in the world and battles against principalities and powers, or three of them. And these battles explain why life can be hard. Many of you have met people this week who've had very, very hard weeks. Now, the reason why life can be so hard is that there are unseen forces around you, and it's a spiritual war the Bible describes. And that sounds a bit weird to some of those who all we think about is the material stuff we can touch and prod. But give me a second to unpack this. Physical wars need physical weapons. Spiritual wars need spiritual weapons. That's what the Bible says. Today, I want to wrap up the series by looking on how do you gear up for a spiritual war. We all know how to gear up if we're going to be attacked as a nation. We'd all be armed. We'd have a strategy. And we're ready, we call it in America, ready for bear. We're ready to go, locked and loaded. But I fear that many Christians and many others don't have a clue about this other spiritual war. So I'm going to look at this and what the scriptures say. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians chapter 6, which is where we'll be drilling down. If you don't have your Bible, the outline will be on the screen as well. Before I look, though, at this text in Ephesians 6, which is all about what I'm going to talk about, I want to make three broad points that Paul is teaching about how to fight battles in your faith. Battles against doubt, battles against deception, battles against denial and disobedience and despair and depression and darkness. This is what he's talking about, fighting those battles. Now, to win the hymn battle, Paul says, number one, the very first thing, I need to gear up for the battle. I need to gear up for it. Don't take this casually. And you're going to get the, the colloquial, your backside handed to you. Gear up for the battle. Don't take this in some sort of like nonchalant way. You don't go out to fight without being prepared. In other words, don't go to battle in your pajamas. I would feel highly exposed, as would you. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Here he is. He says this. A final word. Be strong. Not wussy. Not a coward. Be strong. Men, be strong. With the Lord's mighty power, put on all of, the God, of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. And the Bible clearly teaches, and I'm giving you a synopsis, a broad overview here, that you are born into a battle. There's an unseen war going on between good and evil, light and darkness. 
Now God, between God and Satan, but let me be really clear on this, because some of you have misperceptions on this. God and Satan are not equal forces. This is absolutely not yin-yang. God did not make the devil. God made a good angel called Lucifer, who became the devil by misusing his good gift of free choice to sin. God created pure spiritual beings. Some of them rebelled against him, becoming the devil and his angels. Now, at the end of the time, if you read the end of the book, you realize that that's all going to get wiped out. Now, Satan can't hurt God, but he will try to hurt your children, his children. Now, my wife is normally a pretty calm person. But when, they were calm, when, when my kids were small, you could say anything against me. She was all right on that one. But you touch her children, Mother Bear came out. She'd take on anybody. Now, the devil is real and actual and factual. He's not just a force. And we joke about Satan as some ridiculous, caricatured, pitchfork and red, but he's no joke. He destroys families. He's a liar, a thief, and a destroyer of your marriage, your business, your family, the relationships you have within your family. He's subtle, he's strategic, and he's smart, much smarter than you or I. And he does not fight fear. It's like you go for a fist fight and he'll come out and he'll just shoot you or stab you. Not fighting fear, no fear stuff. By yourself, you are no match for Satan. It's like shooting rubber bands at the USS Nimitz, the battleship. Now the fact is there's a battle going on. And the good news is that you were born to win this battle. And Satan isn't afraid of you, but he is afraid of God inside of you. Here it is, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's 1 John 4, 4. Observe a couple of things here. Number one, this armor that we're supposed to put on isn't yours. It's God's. It's God's armor. You can't provide it for yourself. You can't muster up enough mental, emotional, and physical strength to fight a spiritual battle by yourself. It is God's spirit within you that gives you the victory. You do not have to be afraid of Satan, but you've got to be geared up. Now, I find Christians make one of two mistakes in this area. Number one, they completely minimize the opposition and the battle that's there. And they don't even think about it. And the other mistake is there's a demon under every rock. That's stupidity. And that's stupidity. So you're going to be geared up for the battle. To win the heaven battle, the Bible says first, I must gear up for the battle. If I'm going to war, I'm going to load up. Number two, I need to know my real enemy. My real enemy. Now, let me be clear what I mean by that. We often think the real enemy is other people. It's my boss. He's, he's a real enemy, my boss. We're talking about it could be somebody else. Who is the enemy? Who's responsible for the mess in this world? Some would say, well, if you are, I ask some people, say, oh, it's, the, it's, it's labor. Or it's the Democrats, if it's America. The, the Democrats. Or it's the Republicans or the Nationals. Or actually, it's the Greens. They're all, they're the enemy. Or no, 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 it's the media. They're the enemy. Some people would say, well, it's militant atheists. Some people say it's the gay agenda or the right-wingers. or the, They're all wrong. That sounds pretty audacious, but I don't say that. God says it. Look at this. They're not the real enemy. The Bible says this, Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against people. 
If you think the other people are enemy, the enemy, the Bible says you'd be wrong. We're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits. Some sp- translations say spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. Now, since Satan and his demons are not flesh and blood, you need spiritual armor. But our enemy is real and his attacks are relentless. But the armor of God can defend us against such assaults, as we're going to see soon. So to win the hidden battle, one, gear up. Gear up for this. Number two, know who my real enemy is. Who am I supposed to be shooting at? Where am I going? Number three, the Bible says I must use every piece of God's armor. Every piece. Ephesians 6.13, use Every piece, that's where the point comes from, every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle, after all the shemuzzle is done, you will be standing firm. Firm. Now God says, I want you to fight from victory, not for victory. Because Christ already won the victory. Stand in the place of victory of what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul says you're going to have to put on every piece of God's armor that he provided to resist the enemy so that you're still standing after all these things have happened. Now, a little background before we drill down, before the text. Paul is writing this Ephesians 6. He is chained. He's in in jail 24-7. And he's chained to an elite Roman Guard. Think about the SAS. He's strapped to them. And they change three times a day in a prison. And he's writing in spiritual warfare. And he looks up and he sees this fully dressed Roman centurion and thinks, I can use this. Because everybody in those days knew what a Roman centurion looked like as a teaching tool, as a picture. Now, a Roman centurion wore six pieces of armor, and there were spiritual parallels to each piece. If you leave any one of these off, you will be vulnerable to attack. I don't know about you, but I don't like getting shot at. Six pieces of spiritual armor you need to win your battles. Number one. The first piece of a Roman soldier's armor was a sturdy, girthy belt. A belt held his weapons, much like we have holsters today. You've got to be careful, by the way, the holster. You can easily blow your foot off when you put, reach in for your 9mm. A belt held his weapons. It supported and stabilized his core. And pro weightlifters today, my sons do CrossFit and all sorts of stuff like that, but they often will wear belts around their waist to stabilize their core muscles. Now for the Christian, Paul calls this the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Ephesians 6.14. So stand ready with the belt of truth tight around your waist. And it's easy to understand why this would be very important. Truth is the first thing he starts off because Satan is the father of lies. You'll find that in John 8, 44. The belt of truth, by the way, represents, here comes a practical application, integrity. And integrity is knowing and doing the truth. That's integrity. Your, Your talk matches your walk. 
your beliefs match your behavior. That is integrity. It's all one. Integrity is about that holds everything together. Integrity gives you stability and in strength in your lives. It's not just knowing the truth. It's actually living consistently with that truth. That's integrity. Like a belt, it wraps completely around you because you need integrity in every single area of your life if you were to stand in the long haul. If you lack integrity in any area, you will be vulnerable, such as this. Moral integrity. One slip in that area can destroy you, your family, your career, the lot. Anybody think of recent CEOs who just let go of their top job because they were fraternizing and forming a relationship with somebody else within the company? Be careful. You can be fired for that in some companies. Relational integrity. Sexual integrity. Verbal integrity. That means you do what you say and you mean what you say and you say what you do. It matches. There's not a mismatch. Financial integrity. You pay your debtors. If you lack integrity, you're going to be vulnerable. Matthew 7 talks about this. And Jesus is speaking. And he's highlighting the importance of the application of truth. It's foundational in, our area, in every area of our lives. Because Jesus said, everyone hears what I say, that's the truth, and obeys, that's integrity, will be secure. You'll last Living without the belt of truth is like building house on the sand. If you go back and read that in Matthew 7, that's exactly what he's talking about. You hear, but you don't do. There's no integrity there. Building a house on the sand, and the storms come, and the earthquakes come down, and it goes down. Oh, both heard, only one did. The one that heard and didn't do, he's dead. And it symbolizes Satan's attack against the believer. You can hear, but if you don't do, it's useless to you. Jesus is saying here, without applying God's truth to your life, you will eventually fall apart in the end. Just like Matthew 7, the house on the sand. Now, when I know what God wants me to do, but I don't do it, the Bible calls that sin. When I know the right thing to do, but I do not do it, it is called sin. James is very strong on that. On the other hand, living with integrity, not just knowing the truth, but doing it, stabilizes you and gives you strength. Proverbs 10, 9. The man of integrity, is that the next scripture or is it not there? The man of integrity walks securely. So integrity is not compartmentalizing your life. In other words, you don't appear different with different people. Have you ever met people like that? With certain people, they put on certain ears and tones. And then with other people, they behave differently. I see some people on the golf course who are not quite the same those same people, when they're at work, when they're at home, they've got different modes. You don't act one way at work and another way at church. One way at home and another way with friends. So integrity is living an integrated life rather than a segregated. Well, I've got my church life and I've got my golf life when I'm competitive or my squash life or my friend's life. It should be all the same. Not segregated, but integrated. That's why integrity, integer, whole. Sorry to go back to math, but that's where it comes from. um, Integrity is applying the truth you know. 
here's the deal. We all know more than what we apply. But when you apply it, it gives you stability. It holds you together in the middle of tough times. It gives you strength. Question. Two parts of that. First of all, how is your intake of God's word on a daily basis? Is it regular and consistent and nourishing your soul? And then secondly, how's the application side of that going? Whenever you read the Bible, I highly recommend you say, God, thank you for your word. What do you want me to do about what I've just read? That way you get the application, not just the knowledge. Because knowledge can puff up, but it's the application which Jesus is looking for. Number two, the second piece of armor is the breastplate or body armor to protect the most vulnerable areas of your heart and your lungs around here. And Paul calls this the breastplate of righteousness. That's what he calls it. Ephesians 6.14. Will the breastplate of righteousness protect your chest? Now, no, sorry, a breastplate shielded a warrior's most vital organs from blows that otherwise would be totally fatal. No soldier with a modicum of common sense would ever go into battle without that on. You're going to get shot at. Now, the breastplate of righteousness represents the second key word here, purity. Keeping my motives clean of my heart. Purity, keeping my motives clean. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. You must keep your heart pure, otherwise you'll be derailed in the, in the battle. To be blessed, you need pure motives. That's why Satan wants to attack you with, here, let me give you some clear things. Impure thoughts, impure motives, ungodly desires and actions. Now to get an edge in your heart, here's how he will actually do it. Here's the cue. He will focus his attack on moral impurity. What does that look like? I often ask my kids, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Pornography. That's what it looks like. Books, music, and songs. And some of the movies, it struck me again, just as I was coming back from Chicago the other day, some of the movies, even on the planes, are just insane what they're promoting. But sometimes we've got this, oh, well, it doesn't really affect me. What's really happened here is our consciences have been seared. Gratuitous violence. I started to watch... I'll leave that. Another one, where he'll get an angle, is greed. To get you to always want more, bigger and more, and never be satisfied. Maybe it's to make a dishonest business deal. We think, oh, I don't do that. How about your taxes? You're cheating them. He'll try and get an angle to shade the truth. Or success. Here's the other way I've noticed you'll try and get after you and get a wedge in there. He'll appeal to your pride and ego how well things are going to get you to stop depending on God. Now, you don't have to be talented to win this battle, but you do need integrity, number one, and number two, purity. You have to have the belt of truth 
and the breastplate of righteousness. The third piece of armor the Roman soldier needed are good shoes. For a good footing, so you could stand your ground and not slip whilst you're fighting. You're not there sightseeing with binoculars. You're about to have a real good battle. Possibly lose your life in those days. Military shoes in those days were made of leather, about a quarter of an inch thick. I've forgotten what that is, about what, 25 mil. 25 mil, but they had cleats in the bottom, almost like rugby shoes. So think about them like that soccer boots. In other words, no jandals allowed. For a Christian, Paul calls us the shoes of the gospel of peace. That's how he describes it. The word of God is the gospel, the good news that brings reconciliation, peace, the only thing that can bring peace between God and sinful man. The only thing that will do that. Ephesians 6.15, on your feet, wear the shoes of the good news. Prepared to share the gospel of peace between God and man. The shoes of peace represent the serenity that comes from living in the peace Jesus provides and speaking the gospel of peace. So our firm footing against Satan is our peace between us and God. Christ has secured this peace with you. You'll find that if you want to look at this afternoon in Ephesians 2. That's how he's done it. And Satan will often try to convince us that God will reject you or judge you when we falter. But we know that our peace with God is secure. When we know that for sure, we will not falter, we will not slip, and we'll stand firm, able to resist the devil's taunts. Now to stand spiritually and not stumble, we must be at peace with three relationships. One, God. Two, others. And three, self. If you're not at peace with God and others, it's really easy to slip or stumble. Now, where do we get that peace? Psalm 119, 65, 165 says, Those who love your instructions, which are found in the Bible, have great peace and do not stumble. The more I love God's word, the less I'm offended and the less I'm tripped up by what happens to me or pull off or downcast because I love God's more than I love myself and I'm not so worried about what other people think about me. Now follow me on this. Satan attacks your integrity with lies. That's the opposite. Satan will attack your purity with lust. But let me be clear. It's not just the normal thing we think about lust. Lust of possessions. I want more. I want more. I want my way. So possessions, he'll cause you to lust after. Position and pride. And then he'll also attack your purity with other people. Then he will also attack your serenity with anxiety and worry. Satan will use that lack of relational peace to cause you to be anxious. And it makes it easier to lose your footing when you're anxious than when you're stable. The Bible tells us we're to do two things with, uh, with peace. Number one, firstly, live it. Live peacefully. As much as possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. 
So God says, I want you to be a peacemaker. And that can be hard, because sometimes to make peace, you've got to initiate something. But let me be clear, Christians. He wants you to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. He wants you to build harmony, not hostility. A bridge builder isn't always critical. A bridge builder is not a bridge burner. Now, some of you have learned it's tough to make peace with some people. They just don't want to make peace. They don't want to live in peace. But the Bible says, hey, that's them. But as far as it depends upon you, have an attitude of reconciliation. You can't force it, but at least be open to try. And God also says, secondly, speak it. Speak it peacefully. Not just live it. Have the courage to say it with conviction. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ making peace between the world and himself. In Christ, God did not hold the world guilty of its sins. That's good news. But he gave us this message of peace. So that when, so, so we have been sent to speak for Christ. Did you know that? You, in your mission place tomorrow morning, have been sent to speak for Christ. It is as if God is calling you through us. We speak for Christ. And when we beg you to be at peace with God. So when you're asking people to be at peace with God, you're speaking for him. Now, shoes are a great metaphor for sharing the good news. And Jesus commanded us and called us to go and to share this message of peace with others. And God wants you in his family. And Jesus died for you so that you can have peace with him. Now, many want to live at peace, but they do not want to share this peace with others. They don't, want to, they don't want to speak the good news of peace to other people. I have a question for you. Do you lose your nerve speaking the good news? Sharing that good news? Satan has many obstacles that he can place in the path to halt all the propagation of the gospel. And he'll do everything he wants. He possibly can to stop that. But on the other hand, God wants you to speak up and to say what you believe when it comes to things like even tough things. Tough things like what you believe about abortion, about euthanasia, about marriage. In my home, well, in my, in my country in the United States, it's gone mad. They are now trying to pro- promote, not only in the United States, and I've mentioned this before, but it's making its way through the courts in the United States and in Europe. The concept of throuples. No longer couples. Let's have three in the marriage. Why not? Actually, why stop at three? Is a logical question to ask. The moment you start messing with God's original design, there's no stop to the insanity. Stand up for what you believe. But before you stand up, do some research so you know what you're talking about so you don't get taken to the cleaners. Number four. Paul says the fourth piece of armor you're going to need, I love this one, is a shield. The shield of faith. Centurions had a shield that was soaked in water before the battle. Let me tell you, that weighed a bit. The reason for that is to resist the incendiary arrows that would come hailing down on top of you. Have you seen that? And many things, just dip them in oil, and just a blizzard of arrows would come raining down on top of the army. Now for a Christian, 
Paul tells them, when that happens, deploy the shield of faith. And actually, they'll often gather together and all lift these shields together and it will be like an umbrella over the whole lot of them. Ephesians 6.16, at all times, that's pretty inclusive, carry the shield of faith with you. For it will, for with it, you'll be able to put out all the burning arrows shot by the evil one. The shield of faith represents the fourth quality you need in your life, which is this, certainty, which is trusting the promises of God. Certainty. Even when things, it seems like there's a whole barrage of stuff coming your way, and things aren't going right, and it doesn't make sense, and the incoming hours are coming, use your shield of faith. In the States, I used to see, uh, not so much these days, a bumper sticker that said effectively this, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay, I know what they're trying to say, but here's the point. God's truth is not based on whether you believe it or not. It's still true even if I don't believe it, because God cannot lie. What God says about, for example, money, is true whether you believe it or not. Whether What he says about life is true whether you believe it or not. What he says about hell is true whether you believe it or not. What he says about heaven is true whether you believe it or not. What he says about marriage and sex is true whether you or I believe it or not. Now the barrage of flaming arrows from the evil one we've experienced in the Christian life can take many forms. Let me just name a few of them that you may have seen coming your way. Doubt starts right there in the first few chapters of Genesis. Did God say, can you really trust God? Here's a few other ones. Anger and frustration and pride and despair. Here's another one, discouragement. Satan goes, well, you're never going to get any better. Things are never going to change. Then there's things like depression and hopelessness. A fiery diet of greed. Let me tell you, if that thing gets a handle on you, it'll own your life. Lust is another thing which will destroy you, your family, and everything you count dear. Presumption. Stubbornness. Laziness. Suspicion. Jealousy. Hate, wrath, and discord and conflict. And the list goes on and on. The shield of faith, however, provides an impenetrable protection from these things. See, delays, which can often test your faith, is often... Many people in the scriptures have suffered delays. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Satan is always shooting arrows to try and create doubt in your heart and create a wedge What do you do with your darts of doubt? Here's what I suggest you do. You doubt your doubts and you believe your beliefs. You doubt your doubts and you believe your beliefs. This is getting control of your mind. Whenever you get those swapped around, you are wide open to the attack of Satan. That's why Paul says at all times, carry the shield of faith. In these times, friends, we need certainty. The Bible talks about certain hope. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And those who come to God must, one, believe that he is. Number two, believe there's a rewarder of those who seek him. You decide ahead of time, I'm going to trust God no matter what my feelings say. Because I don't know about you, but I found my feelings are very fickle. Number five, the fifth piece of armor a Christian soldier needs is he needs a helmet. It's very important because a head wound, especially in those days, was often mortal. You were dead. We must, and that speaks to us that we must protect our mind. Ephesians 6.17, put on the helmet of salvation. Now these battles are often fought in the mind. And the hidden battle is mental. Nobody else sees this. And Satan will work through suggestion. So you must protect your mind. Without salvation, you have zero protection from satanic thought. And the helmet of salvation represents security, which means protecting my mind from evil. That's what the helmet does. It protects your head, it protects your mind. And if you're going to win the spiritual battles of your life, you're going to learn how to control your thoughts. Never has this been more important today because we live in some absurd, insane times. We've talked a lot about this in the series, about protecting and guarding your mind, especially of your children and your grandchildren. Be careful what they consume on the, don't get me started on those, but on the media. Be careful. Today it is much more challenging than we, we would read our kids books, real books, not e-books, and we'd sit down and they'd flip the pages. And we had, to some degree, some good control over what our children are reading. And we could help choose that and influence that. Today, it's a lot more challenging. Don't allow just anything and be careful of Netflix. Be discerning. Look, if you're sitting on the bench and you drop a piece of fish on the floor and you pick it up and you examine that fairly carefully before you consume that to make sure nothing's not so good on there, right? You're careful. Be careful of what we consume in our minds Movies. Colossians 3 2 says, Keep your minds on the things above, not worldly things. Now, we've covered that over the last few weeks. Friends, you can choose what you're going to think about. You have 100% control over that. That's the good news. When you choose to think on things that are good and true and wholesome and right and just, I suddenly thought last night, as I was rereading my message, thought, Where? Do you get those things that are wholesome, good, true, and of good repute? In fact, let me just drop down a bit here. This is a great verse. I'll put it on here, but it's not in your outline. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Have you found this so far? I'm thinking about this on Netflix or TV. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Wow. I had a quick flick through the TV, something I hardly ever do last night. I couldn't find one thing that would fit that verse. If I want to apply that verse, I go, off. So when you think about each of these attributes, integrity, let's zip back, integrity, purity, serenity, and peace, certainty and security, you know what that is? That's a perfect picture of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about, Jesus Christ here. Nobody has more integrity, more security, more purity, and certainty than Jesus Christ. There's one last piece of armor you need to fight the battle to win. 
and it relates to maturity. And it's using God's word against Satan. It's not just knowing the Bible, but it's using it. My sons collect swords. You know, if you have all the swords all around the place, but you don't know how to use them, well, you might as well not have them. Paul talks to believers about maturity. Here he is, Hebrews 5, 12. Although by this time, you've been a Christian for a while, he's saying, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teaching the Bible to others who've been in the faith less time so they may profit from your instruction and you shouldn't be just sitting listening. You need somebody else to teach you the elementary truths, the ABCs. It's literally ABC of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still a spiritual baby, but on solid food is for the mature. Here's a definition of maturity. Who by constantly practicing, not, well, I know the Bible, I study the Bible, but I practice the Bible, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So what is he talking about here? Three things. Partaking of solid spiritually food is, number one, feed yourselves. Feeding yourself. One of the ways that we know that little Isabel here has grown is that she can go from mummy and daddy spoon feeding her that she can feed herself. One day she'll move from that to when she can earn for herself and then eventually contribute to a family. That's the growth trajectory that everybody should be on. Number two here, maintaining the practice of righteous living. The practice of it. And three, exhibiting a trained sense of discernment, knowing what's right and what's wrong. The mature do things that lead to spiritual stability and continued growth. That's how the Bible defines maturity. Not for one day a week or several times a month, but perpetually. It's a habit. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. See, there's the waypoints, the growth path of faith in God. Now, the sixth weapon is important because it's an offensive weapon. Some of the weapons we've looked at are defensive. This one is offensive. Listen to what the Bible says. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take it. Satan is not phased by your words. What do they mean? But he does fear God's word. Listen closely. The Bible doesn't become a sword until you can handle it accurately and well, until you memorize it. Remember, the battle is in the mind. You can have ten Bibles at home, but they're no good to you at all. At all if they're closed and sitting on a shelf and collecting dust. Classic example of this, which is the epitome of what Jesus was getting at. Matthew 4. Jesus teaches how to handle us. He teaches us how to handle the attacks of Satan. In Matthew 4, he used the the memorized word of God to combat the temptations of the devil. And just at the right time, the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind... Scriptures reminding you of the truth of God, both his goodness and his severity. That's the balance in it. And it helps you in the most tempting areas. For example, if you have a problem with impatience, memorize scriptures to do with impatience. 
If you have a problem with anger, memorize some verses on anger. If you have a problem watching where your eyes go, memorize verses on lust. If you're always copping out, not standing up and wussing out, and saying what you believe, and you know, you know those times, only you know that with your conscience and the Holy Spirit will probably memorize some verses on courage. If you have problems with doubt, memorize some verses on faith. If you're tempted to spend money you don't have, there are plenty of verses on that. If you're tempted to be selfish and spend everything on you, your family, and that's it, versus your generosity towards God and others, read what the scriptures say about our stewardship, our responsibility. One verse a week. Memorize. And ask God to give you a hunger for his word. The sharper the sword, the more effective you will be at defeating Satan. And I want to end up with two questions. Number one, how do I put on all this armor? So I'm protected against Satan and the fiery darts of discouragement and doubt. A. Firstly, through prayer. Prayer is how we fight the battle. Ephesians 6.18 says this, do all of this in prayer. Circle the word prayer. Asking for God's help. Pray. Circle the word pray. On every occasion as the Spirit leads. For this reason, keep alert. Keep alert and never give up. Always praying. Circle praying for all of God's people. A lot of people... Think about prayers like the national anthem before the rugby game. You know it's nice, you accept it's important, but it bears no resemblance at all to the real game about to follow. And we go into this routine without having to think. It's just something you do before a meal or before you get to bed. Prayer is how we fight the battle. Last question. When is the best time to get dressed for the battle. I want to suggest to you it's before you go into battle in the morning. It will be highly unusual for you to get dressed for the battle and then hop into bed. <laughs> I'm sure your wife wouldn't be that pleased with that. <laughs> and not much use. And that reminds me of the importance of our quiet time in the morning. Let's pray. Father, we know that you tell us to stand firm and to fight the good fight with the armor and the weapons that you have provided. Forgive us for all the times that we've thought that other people were our enemy. Holy Spirit, help us to realize that we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but the problem is behind the problem. And it's the spiritual evil, the satanic influences, the evil rulers and authorities, the unseen world and the powers of darkness that your word so clearly addresses. Father, we know that we're not going to win that war based on human methods. But help us, as your word says, to put on all of this spiritual armor. The armor of integrity. Knowing and doing the truth of purity, keeping our motives clean, of serenity, living in the peace that you have brought 
and speaking good news of peace and living in harmony. Help us to put on certainty, trusting your promises, Lord. And security and sanity, protect our minds, Lord, from the evil and the hopelessness of this world. And maturity. Father, help us use your word. And Holy Spirit, help us realize that it's in prayer that we win battles. Today, if you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, would you say this prayer? It doesn't have to be allowed. Just say, Jesus Christ. As much as I know how, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I accept the price that he paid will cover my sin. I need you to save me. I need the helmet to protect my mind, so I ask you to come into my life and my heart and change me forever. In your name I pray.